Well, welcome once again to Voice of Reason Radio. Your hosts, Chris Honholtz and Richard Story, joining you on this 16th of October, 2021. Rounding the year down, getting closer and closer to the end of the, well, part two of the year that never ends. Um, <laughs> last year, it really never ended. But uh, we have been really grateful to continue to do this program with you all and continue to know, just be able to have this platform and talk with uh, all of you be able to share our thoughts and uh, our view of things as we try to reason through the things of the world, the things of life through the scriptures, and try to always encourage you to do so. Um, If you've not been a listener of Voice of Reason Radio, basically what we are is two Christian brethren, myself and Richard Story, who get on the microphone every week and try to have just a a personal conversation. Um, We are not like pastors. We're not, um, you know, erudite theologians uh, of academia. We're just Christian brethren, just like you. And we're always trying to think about how do we view this issue, not through our own personal experience, not through what the world says, not through the the values and, and uh, uh, thoughts that we were brought up with. Rather, what does the Word of God say? So we have always tried to do that. And um, we just welcome you along for the conversation that we're having. Conversation is such an ugly word because so many have tried to uh, tried to co-opt it, but we don't do that kind of conversation. We don't we don't use a the conversation as a deconstruct or excuse me a code word for deconstruction and all those things. But we actually use it in this normal sense of the word. Like we're actually talking and having a conversation back and forth. So uh, we we're grateful to have you. Want to remind you we are part of the Christian Podcast Community collection of podcasts. Of like-minded Christian brethren, uh, we try to support one another. We try to promote one another, but we do so because we feel confident that what you're going to listen to is always of good, sound doctrine. Uh, they are vetted, they are uh, discussed, and you know, if there was ever an issue, there's even a process by which we can say, "Hey, this podcast can't be part of the group anymore." If they suddenly decide to go, I don't know, let's say go woke or something. Um, but we are grateful to be part of that. Thank you, Andrew Rappaport and the folks at Striving for Eternity for making us part of that. We uh, always encourage you to go check that out. We always encourage you to check out our website, slavetothekeen.com. That is where you will find our contact information. That's where you can sign up for articles, new podcasts. You can find our social media and uh, everything else on there, our our. Uh, Link to the doctrineandlife.co uh, page where you can find our, uh, our 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 swag. You can get yourself a nice, cool shirt from those guys. You can find our Patreon support page. All of that can be located there. So we are grateful to be with you this week. Uh, grateful to come back and be on the mic with my brother Rich. How are you doing, my friend? As always, brother, better than I deserve. Amen. And ho- hopefully I can expand on that a little bit tonight um maybe hopefully and prayerfully if some brothers and sisters out there are struggling to help them understand how i arrived at being able to truthfully say that i'm better than i deserve but <laughs> tonight's tonight's show topic is going to be a heavy one it's not lighthearted at all yeah no not at all and in a way it's actually kind of um a continuation of a uh previous topic where we had talked about things like uh food storage and preparation and stuff you know and things like doing the prepper and stuff like that because we we had had that question sent to us but 
the things that we talked about in this are in that particular program are actually rather applicable to some extent to what we were going to bring up tonight. This has kind of been my idea. So we're not trying to rehash the same old ground, but with everything going on, I think there's at least a, maybe a good reason to pick up that conversation a little bit more and, and, and get into it. So I, I do agree with you, brother. It's, this is one of those things where it's like, when life gets rough, where do we put our eyes? Where do we stay focused? And, um, and go ahead. Brother, um, I just want to let listeners know, um, before we actually get into tonight's topic, I don't know if we will address it towards the end of this episode or depending on our time, we may have to roll it over and do a continuation and a part two for next week. Mm -hmm. But at some point, either in this show or the next show, we will be addressing how do we keep our eyes mm -hmm. focused on Christ during the storms, during the times of suffering, persecution, trials, illnesses, disease. You know, we, we, we are told to keep our eyes on Christ during these storms, but how many times do we ever sit down and go through and find practical ways and, and biblical mm -hmm. ways to actually do that? So that's one thing we hope to share with our listeners either tonight or next week. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and we'll continue the, I think as time goes on, that'll probably be a subject we may have to revisit more than once. Um, what prompted this one and Rich, I sent this to you and I shared it on, on social media too. Right now, everybody's the kind of the, one of the big topics of the day is, is, uh, the supply chain uh, issues that are going on primarily with stuff that's, uh, you know, either employment labor uh, shortages or the inability to get products to sales points, you know, to get them from the docks where they're coming in or other locations on trucks and onto the sales points. And then even one step further, now we're watching transportation issues. I think everybody's aware of the issues that happen with Southwest. Southwest has really tried to, well, let's call it what it is. I think they put try to put lipstick on a pig. They, they really tried to call the thousands of flights that they had canceled over. It started over the, uh, uh, I think it was last weekend, and then continued throughout this week. And they, they, they tried to say, oh, no, it has nothing to do with staffing shortages. It had to do with, um, what did they call it, uh, it, the air traffic control management systems and that, that there was rough weather and that caused a conflict. And the interesting thing about that, Rich, is that there was, while there are many places that have had cancellations of travel, um, none to the extent that Southwest was having. Uh, I mean, we're talking hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of flights canceled people like stranded for days trying to get other flights, trying to uh, get rental cars, whatever, um, it just stuck because these flights were canceled and the, now the rumor will, and this is the problem with social media, of course, is you, you have people that are, you know, okay, CNN, MSNBC, those guys are not going to tell you the, uh, the full truth. We know that, uh, even Fox news is kind of iffy at times, but uh, there were various, you know, alternative news personalities. And I'm not talking about like Bob's news site or something like that. Um, but Individuals who are well known, who are doing uh, reporting through various alternative news sites, were saying they were receiving information that either because air traffic controllers 
and I think it was in Florida, walked off the job uh, one particular day because of uh, you know certain uh, certain medical mandates. I'm trying to be very careful about how we say this, um, or also or because of pilot or crews suddenly not available. Southwest has utterly denied all of that. They said, no, 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 we've had no such thing happen. Um, and in fact, the unions that covered that said, yeah, no, we, we're, there's no official action, which uh, apparently to do something like that, like strike for pilots is actually illegal. Uh, but that doesn't mean that it didn't happen. It just means that there's no legal, uh, you know, official strike going on. And so that they've really, really tried to kind of sugarcoat this. But the reality was, is that the weather was nowhere near uh, as rough as they were trying to claim that would have stranded so many flights. And uh, there's the idea that a traffic, air traffic control management system uh, issue caused only one particular carrier to more hey, or less brother. shut down. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I know you would be familiar with this, and I don't know how old the expression is, but basically it sounds like they had a case of the blue flu, yes. although when it applies to yeah. air traffic controllers, I'm not really sure if it has a name, sky flu, maybe. <laughs> maybe. It could be, yes. Blue flu, if those who have not heard it, that's uh, a term that you've often heard in law enforcement. Now, law enforcement agencies can't strike. But there has been a there's been times when the quote blue flu has hit in law enforcement agencies when large numbers of law enforcement officers suddenly got sick. You know, when especially during times of negotiations with city contracts and stuff like that. So this unofficial type of strike thing. Again, this is based on information that's coming secondhand. So we have to take it with a certain grain of salt. But when you've got people in Southwest uniforms on social media talking about these issues and they're holding up a sign talking about how their job's in jeopardy, I think there's some reason to take at least less of a grain of salt and recognize that maybe the CEO of Southwest wasn't being so honest. And what was interesting is that about the same time, somebody was sharing, I think it was Amtrak, uh, they have, just like most places have some sort of Twitter page to say, here's our support stuff. Amtrak had one and they actually point blank said, Hey, on this day, these two, uh, these two trains are full on, full on canceled because of crew issues. They didn't have crew. Um, so you've got not enough bodies in the workforce. So you have stores, restaurants, etc., factories, putting out less product, putting out or having less hours available, etc. You've got shipping issues because we know there's stuff going on overseas, as, such as coming out of China and stuff. But we also know here in America, we're having trouble getting products even onto shelves or moved to shelves because ships are coming in, but they're stuck because you know the boxes are stuck on the docks because... Not enough body, bodies to get the stuff off the docks. Hey, brother. Yes. Another interesting aspect of this that most people don't know and don't realize and probably have never been told, a lot of this, granted, there's a million different things going on right now. Mm -hmm. But if you took the, the Rona issue out and all mm -hmm. these other issues out, 
some of what we're starting to experience was actually predicted mm -hmm. about 15, 20 years ago. I forget the technical term, but basically we have reached that point where so many baby, baby boomers have started to retire mm -hmm. that there's a huge shortage in manual labor and skilled labor personnel that probably has helped contribute to some of this because um, we're, what, 2021? And I've heard this talked about back in, like, 2000, 2005, mm -hmm. about, you know, at that time in 20 years, I think it was, or 25 years, that there's going to be a huge labor shortage yep. because the number of people predicted to retire in, like, trade skills, plumbers, electricians, truck drivers, you know, tech, other technical-type jobs, you know, because when you go to talking about truck drivers and the people that work the docks and even like train conductors and all this, those are still skilled technical trade type occupations. Mm -hmm. And when you have, say, a million people doing these jobs and half of them retire and you only have, you know, a very small percentage of new people coming in training to do that, you're going to end up with a huge shortage. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this actually was predicted by labor experts decades ago based on uh, young people graduating high school, going into college, the decline of trade schools, mm -hmm. the decline of union members that, like when you come out of high school, you can apply and become an apprentice in some of these union trade skilled type jobs and, and do the, basically the same thing in other areas that's not union involved, but they were basing it on union membership in, mm -hmm. in, in like boilermakers union, plumbers union, electricians union, truck drivers union, all these type of things. And they were basing it off of that and the fact that, you know, there's going to be a decline because we don't have as many people coming in applying, wanting to do this type of work. Mm -hmm. Everyone is wanting to sit in an office or work, from home or do something with computers. And I think through that retirement attrition type thing, we are starting to see one aspect of that happen in our nation's economy and job market. No, Not to mention the fact right now, you know, we still have people making more money drawing unemployment than they were making while they were working. Absolutely. And that's just, just, just what I was going to get at. As you rightly pointed out if you took covid off the sh uh, off the shelf so to speak and all the things that came with that and you just looked at that that was going to be an issue enough because there is a less of an emphasis on skilled labor in the current generations they don't want they don't want those kind of jobs they want to get you know they, they want to get to college. They want a career where they're going to make a million dollars. They want to be a CEO. They want to be, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, pop star idol. They want to, they, they so many younger people today, are they looking for jobs? No, they're, they're trying to be social media influencers. They, they want to make money. I mean, my goodness, the sheer volume of YouTube channels. And, and, and I'm telling you, there's some neat stuff there, but people are making money just doing that. And so you have, less skilled labor out there, less factory workers, less production. And that's just from that perspective, you just took everything going on out of the, the equation. But then you add in what's happened over the last year and a half, and you have this problem of a, of a less than stable workforce. And as you said, the government's been paying people to just stay home. 
So you got people that are running businesses that are trying their darndest to get employees to come in, but you've got people that are making a paycheck sitting on their backside doing nothing, and thanks to the government, they weren't even paying for their rent or their mortgage because they were, yeah, I might get evicted eventually, but I can, I can take, you know, I can just take the money I'm getting from the government and live and I don't have to do anything. So you've got that, you had eviction moratoriums, you had federal government paying people to stay home because stay home, stay alive, blah, blah, blah. And then you have trying to get people back to work. So now you've got fewer people in the production industry, fewer people in retail, fewer people on the docks to send in and, uh, or excuse me, take in and send out materials. Now you've got less stuff hitting the shelves. Oh, and by the way, just a, another wrinkle in the whole thing with the docks, and I was telling you the, in pre-show, Rich, I was reading an article, I think just yesterday. Part of the reason trucks are not getting in and off those docks as, as uh, fast as they can is because California has regulations on the age of the vehicle coming onto the docks. So it has to be a newer vehicle. I can't remember the year. I wish I could remember it. But they were like, if it's not, if it's older than this this newer age of vehicle, you can't bring it on the dock. Yet you've got a lot of truckers who are looking at California's other regulations coming up, which is by 2035 everything over there has to be electric. So not to mention not to mention the fact that I've seen this and posted on more than one thing. They are wanting to ban mm -hmm. grass gasoline powered grass cutting devices, yep. blowers, and lawnmowers Everything. in like next two or three years. I mean, California is on a path of self-destruction beyond anything I've ever seen a state do. I mean, even in a very communist-controlled area, I mean, you'd have to be, I don't even know, the. I can't even come up with a description mm -hmm. how crazy you'd have to be to intentionally be doing things that are going to destroy your economy. I'm no economist, but I know enough to know that when 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 you start doing all this and you start having people leave your state, businesses leave your state, mm -hmm. you're not going to have a state left by the time it's over with. And that's exactly it. And the sad truth is that there are so many people that continue to vote for exactly this. This is what they want. They want the government intervention. It's insane. Yet the, that intervention is preventing trucks that could be getting on the docks for the express purpose of getting products on the road. But nope, can't let those trucks on. So you've got our esteemed president, uh, His Highness Biden, saying, well, I'm I've talked to California. We're going to have 24-7, uh, you know, uh, you know move, uh, moving of all this product and stuff. Except, number one, as I was reading an article today, he gave no timeline for that, so we have no idea if or when that'll actually ever happen. But number two, even if you have twenty four seven, you know, operations, you're net you you're you're barring a great number of vehicles from coming in because, in your estimation, they're too old. There's a there's a you know this if they're not green enough. They're not they're they're too much uh, too much pollution, I guess. And so even if you have a twenty four seven operations, you don't have enough trucks. Which, I mean, there's always been, a, somebody pointed out to me the other day, there's always been a shortage of truckers, and I get that. But then you cut it down even further by saying we're only going to let X number of percent of trucks that are available to come onto the docks. It's, it's insanity. So you look at that. That means less product is getting out. 
you've also got the government saying, hey, and, and our, again, His Highness Air Biden has said it's no longer going to be uh, all businesses with 100 or more uh, vax or test. He just said, I think it was two days ago, one day ago, um, two days ago, I think it was. No, no, all, all businesses with 100 employees or more, vax only. That's the only way that they can work. Now, that's, I think that's, I think it was Delta Airlines just made the news yesterday. Delta Airlines basically said on that idea. And uh, you can quote me on that. So, <laughs> but, uh, interesting, interesting side note on that topic. Um, I don't have the link, but there's a company. They had 149 employees. In order to stay open, they were going to have to either force the COVID mandate on all the employees or start letting people go. They decided we're not going to enforce the mandate. Mm -hmm. So what they did, instead of laying off the unvaccinated employees, they laid off the vaccinated employees <laughs> since they were more capable of being able to go out and find another job at a company that was only hiring vaccinated employees. Yeah. I thought that was pretty ingenious it's myself. Pretty clever. <laughs> they kept, yeah, they kept the unvaccinated and laid off the vaccinated people. And in, in an interview, they were getting slammed pretty hard for doing it. But they just pointed out and said, we're not going to force a, a, a mandate. Um, we're not going to lay off these unvaccinated people since nobody else is going to hire them. Yeah. So we decided to lay off the ones that had the better chance of landing another job. So they laid <laughs> off the vaccinated people. I, I just, I'm sorry, but I just found that hilarious. That's, you know what? That's why everybody who thinks, oh, the government should be the folks to run this. This is why you don't want the government running things. Because the government kind of tries to make everything fit into these picture-perfect little boxes. And they say, this is going to fix the problem. And then you come up against reality. Well, let's see. I have a, I have a company of 150 people. i got to get rid of... 40, now, you know, I've got to get rid of 51 to make it less than 100. I know, instead of just bowing to the almighty government and punishing people who did nothing wrong, let me make it possible for them to stay working, and hey, you guys will have a better shot at a job. The government can't anticipate that, because the, the government is does not think in terms of, hmm, how can I be productive? How can I be innovative? How can I do that? And still maintain my business. The government thinks in terms of, you know, a uh, little block of this is what it looks like and we, we, we don't get creative, we don't get innovative because we're just going to do a one-size-fits-all mentality. That's So th this is why the government should never run things. This is why no matter how many laws you create, and let's take another issue, so, you know, Second Amendment issue, no matter how many laws you create to try to prevent, say, AR-15s from being purchased, you're always going to come up against innovation which is going to meet the requirements that the government has set out because the government's not innovative, the government's not creative, and yet the firearms manufacturer will always go, well, this is how I can still make the firearms, still sell it, it's still usable, it still works fine, it's just going to look different. So you can't, this is why government can never do it. It can never be creative. But anyway, but getting back on getting back on track. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that was great. A beautiful, beautiful, uh, beautiful thinking. I hate to see anybody be laid off, but if you're going to lay off somebody... At least the ones who can get a job. But anyway, oh, and this is go ahead. This will really, this will really ruffle some feathers. The owner of the company was a white male. <laughs> 80, I think it was eighty-six percent of the company 
86% of the employees were minorities. The, the ones that got, got laid off that had taken the vaccination, I think it said 95% of them were of Caucasian descent. <laughs> so you woke people out there, you, you do what you want to with that one. I love that. That's just so great. So, okay, so you've got less workforce. You've got less uh, stuff coming off the docks. You have government intervention that's creating these problems. It's actually causing companies to fire people or lose people who will walk off the job. And we've got a complete media blackout on it. They won't talk about this issue. They they want to. I mean, my goodness, I think it was Washington Post that somebody shared the uh, the headline on it, and I, I couldn't find the article. I wish because I, I would love to have read it. It says we need higher and longer inflation, as if inflation is a good thing. And so you get the media not only like doing a media blackout on how negative this is, but they're actually gaslighting everybody and saying, no, 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 it's a good thing that you can't find anything and everything's too expensive for you to buy. Uh, and they're actually another side side. Go ahead. Another side note. Um, since we're kind of wandering tonight, um, <laughs> another brief side note. That's that's one of those things when they say that you need to ask who is it good. Yeah, exactly. Because when America suffers from inflation, when the American dollar declines, guess who reaps the benefit mm -hmm. of it? China. Yep. They succeed when the dollar is weak. Exactly. So all of this is to say, okay, we've kind of gone on this long, drawn out, and and somewhat scary sound, <laughs> somewhat scary sounding scenario. What does this mean? Well, what it means is. When you go grocery shopping, you're going to find less things. They've, they've already said, our own, our own White House has already said, Christmas time, you may not be able to find as much of the things that you're looking for. So that, that means that companies that usually go into the black, by the way, you Joy Behar types, that's not a racist comment. That means that you go from the red <laughs> in the negative into the black, which is positive. Yeah, she actually thought it was a racist comment once upon a time. Uh, anyway, um, it's going to be harder for companies to go into, into the black, meaning make any kind of profit. You're going to have a harder time finding things. As less things are sold and less product is available for companies to remain profitable, prices are going to increase. So you're going I, to... I wanna, go ahead. I want, I, want, I want to add this real quick because my brain is like Swiss cheese and I have a thought <laughs> and five minutes from now it'll be gone. So if... Any of you that think that I'm constantly interrupting Chris, this is just the way we oh, this is constant talk things out. This is a normal conversation because <laughs> we're 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 doing this over the over our cell phones and we're not looking at each other, so we can't take <laughs> facial cues and those typical type things. But I saw a chart the other day, and I think it was based on the last quarter of Trump's being in office, and it was a, a cost comparison and meat was the one that stood out in my mind right now beef is costing about 12 percent more than it did this time i think three years ago and just by coincidence i was talking with someone not long ago who works in the beef industry they own a cattle ranch and they have you know they raise and sell thousands of head of cattle mm -hmm. each year and what they're making and what the beef is selling for, you know, the, to the places they sell it, that has not changed. They say that the price increase is coming from somewhere in the middle. Mm 
mm-hmm. that there's really no logical explanation for the increased price of beef. And I know, like, if you've gone to the grocery store lately to get a pound of hamburger meat, in some places it's like seven, eight dollars a pound, right. where it's normally you know under five bucks a pound. And there's really no logical reason for that. And they have questions from have questioned the price increase from within the cattle industry, and they themselves cannot get straight answers on why the cost of beef has raised so has gone up so much. Because according to this individual, and like I said, they own a cattle ranch, and that's what they do is raise and sell cattle for beef for you know to make it to the grocery stores and everything else. But you know, there's not less cows being processed. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, the demand is actually up, and nobody could really give an answer as to why the price has increased as much as it has, right. other than what you were leading to is that there's such a shortage in transportation Mm -hmm. that individuals and companies are taking advantage of that and jacking the prices up. Yeah. You know, used to supply and demand when supply was high, price was low. And when demand was, um, you know, Mm -hmm. I got myself mixed up, but you (laughs) understand what I was saying, but you know, the, the supply and demand has not increased or decreased. Yeah. It's just the prices are not reflecting the way it, truly should be and there's so much of that that's being impacted by things like increase increased gas price increased transportation costs some of those things are impacting it as well so the, even though there's not a gas shortage although we may who knows whether we'll see a, a revisitation of the carter administration and maybe one day we'll see that happen next um but while gas is plentiful it's costing more it costs more to put into the truck, to drive the truck down Biden. the road. To do, mm. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You you did that, Biden, right? That, that's something you should be proud of, right? Anyway, uh, yeah, all the all those. Let <laughs> uh, me add this: all those people and the ones I know personally that were posting riding with Biden. <laughs> I guess they have finally figured out that riding with Biden meant a broken down old wagon with square wheels and a dead mule. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen. So. All of that's creating, uh, you have shortages, you have labor shortages, you have transportation issues, you have rising prices of gas and transportation, you have uh, processing issues. All of this is causing what? It's causing an impact on you being able to go to the store, buy groceries, buy daily needs, buy gifts for family and friends for Christmas or birthdays the ability to take vacations, the ability to pay your bills. I mean, they're anticipating an increase by at least hundred. well, in, in the realm of hundreds of dollars for keeping your home warm this winter. Again, coming from the White House. So all of this is going up. All of this is becoming harder to find. All of this is becoming harder for us just as citizens in what is supposed to be one of the most prosperous nations in the world. We're actually seeing a reversal of our prosperity back to the days potentially of the Carter administration back when you had things like the misery index. I mean, a government entity actually referring to the misery index, go figure. Um, well, I'm sure a lot of our listeners are too young to remember. That's what the, I was going to say next. Days. Okay. Well, uh, I'll hush and let you get on. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. <laughs> but I mean, 
back when there was gas rationing. Now, you think that there's not going to be power rationing? You think that there's not going to be food rationing if we go back that far? Um, I, I suspect it's quite, quite possible. And I don't believe, Rich, that either you or I are the only people beginning to be concerned about this. And this is why I say this kind of dovetails off our listener-requested show on prepping. Because I think most of us are starting, you know, we see the Facebook posts, we see the news articles, we see Jen Psaki, like, I don't know, just complete gaslighting the American public as she's talked to about this during press conferences. And we recognize this is not looking good. This is not looking good for our day-to-day living. And so when I looked at this, I mean, and I saw what was going on, I recognized, hey, we might be going to a period of time that is going to be very uncomfortable. And as you just said, Rich, many of our listeners are probably in, they might be anywhere from the 20s to, to 40s. Some of you guys are in the 50s and 60s. Um, some of us were alive at that time during the Carter administration when all this stuff was going on. Some of us, like, all right, I was born in 74, so I would not have remembered any of that. But some of you guys have been around, you know, maybe you're, you know, like my father who's in his 60s, lived through those times. But the vast majority of us, post-Carter, going into the Reagan administration and forward, even under George Bush when we had the housing crisis and the economic downturn, which radically impacted our economy, we could still find groceries in the store, we could still find you know, things that we needed for our day-to-day living, we could still get groceries and stuff. It was harder because less jobs were available. It was harder because less income. But what we're having now is a flip. We're seeing less availability of product to buy. We're finding higher prices for what is available. We're finding transportation Travel, all of this is getting restricted. So the jobs are out there, the paychecks are available, but we're on the other end of the spectrum now. We're actually, you could be working, you could be trying to provide for your family, but you're finding it much more difficult to do so because your paycheck isn't covering enough. Things are costing more and they're harder to find. So the reason we wanted to talk about that, and, and we'll do this with the, the remaining portion of the show, because we've kind of belabored this point a little bit, and I certainly don't want to panic anybody. I, I, I know most of us are probably feeling that angst, is to talk. Hey, brother. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I will speak briefly on from personal experience, because I am a, a somewhat older than you. I do remember the 70s and the Carter administration and a lot of what took place. And there's a lot of older guys around like myself that maybe we're not necessarily what you would consider wise, but but we have been around and lived long enough and have been able to see, you know, live through things and we can see what, what's coming. Basically what I'm getting at is for some of us, if we tell you, you can ride a rooster, you better be go, you better be finding yourself a saddle because we know what we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's the really sad part about us is that I think the great many people right now listening to what we're talking about um, aren't familiar with what that's like. And, and yes, Rich, they need to listen. They need to listen. The reason that's important is 
this is not a program to make you worry. It's a program to get us thinking rightly. When the times come, not if, not maybe. I mean, because we'll, most of our time, we've talked about these things, Rich. In the last five and a half years, we've talked about difficult times kind of in the speculative. Not that they haven't existed, but what happens if? What happens should you? Now it's like, what do I do now that this is happening? You know, this is kind of where we're, we're looking at. So we want to put aside that debate of, why is it happening? Is it a bad thing it's happening? What can we do to fight the administration that's causing that? That's a discussion for a separate program and a separate time. The question I want to ask, Rich, is as Christians, are we prepared for this? And I'm not talking about prepared in the sense of do we have a a root cellar filled with toilet paper, uh, flashlights, water, and food. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about are we a prepared spiritually have we prepared our families to live in such times? Because that's well, where I think we, we, we aren't. Uh, there's a lot of people wanting to debate this, this terrible situation that we're finding ourselves in and the how and the why and how to fix it. But Rich, I don't hear a lot of people talking about how do we live through this spiritually? How do we lead our families? Well, I just would like to add to that. As Christians, are we prepared for the realization and and truly discovering the difference between what we want mm-hmm. and what we need. Amen. And that 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 to me is the heart of the issue because I know from I'm, I'm I'm guilty of it myself. You know, there's a lot of times I'll see something and think, well, I need that. No, it's not that I need it. It's just something that I want. Mm-hmm. So, are we prepared to deal with that? Are we prepared to have to give up some of the wants in order to have things that we and our family actually need. And even that aside, like you said, no one is discussing, you know, at this moment, what should we be doing spiritually to prepare for what's coming and for what's going on now, you know, and, and I loved, it was in your notes, you know, you were in preparation for the show, you're talking about when Peter took his eyes off of Christ and was mm-hmm. focused more on the storm than he was Christ, that right there in that passage is leads, you know, to so many things that we need to be examining, looking at and doing in our lives and in our family lives when it comes to being spiritually prepared for not only economic problems, but, you know, sickness, suffering, disease, mm-hmm. trials, tribulation, and whether it's economic or physical or, you know, from the government, the answer is all the same for all these different problems. Mm-hmm. And, and that's exactly it. We have to be prepared in our hearts, in our, in our minds, in, the, in our faith to be able to look at what's going on and recognize God's sovereign hand in it. You know, we think that we are the masters of our destiny. We, we think we're, we're going to make the plans, you know, uh, like James says, you you who say uh, we're going to go to this city, live for a year, buy and sell, and make a profit. That that's kind of how we look at life. We tend to think of ourselves as being the master of our of our destinies. Yet James says, you know, it rather it should be if the Lord wills, we will go and do such and such. Um, why is he saying that? Because ultimately, 
whether we succeed or fail is in the hands of God. We can do all the right things, but if God wants us to go through difficult times, he's going to. And again, that dovetails back to our uh, show on prepping and in the food storage and all that. So we have to settle our hearts and our minds. We have to be in our strong in our faith to recognize that God is sovereign. He determines the course of man. You may plan your steps, but he's determining your path. Okay? So we have to have that settled. We have to recognize no matter what we... If we could get Biden out of office, if we could reverse the course of everything that's going on, God could still allow us to go through great difficulty. And the way I would explain that, Rich, is let's say we got Biden out of office today. We Kamala Harris runs and says, I'm not going to be in charge of this mess and takes off. And so suddenly everybody realizes this is failing and they give up and we get everybody we want in power in 2022, etc. Well, if you've ever been in, in a really snarled up batch of traffic after a really bad accident, it doesn't matter how long ago the traffic uh, accident was cleared, it takes a long time for the traffic to flow normally again. So even if we could get everything we wanted accomplished today, there's going to be an impact. All right, The rail cars are going to be stacked up and it's going to take a while for this to clear. So we have to be settled that this, even if we could solve everything today, God still may allow in his sovereignty for us to be impacted by the things that are coming down the road. So we have to be settled for that. We also have to prepare our families to live through those lean times. I think there's a lot of us that have not sat down and talked with our children, talked with our spouses, and said, what happens tomorrow if we can't afford such and such anymore? As you said, Rich, what are our needs? What are our wants? Have we prepared? In fact, have we so prepared our families that our families could go, it's okay for us to give up these things because we are focused on Christ and we are serving him? Or have we inadvertently taught our families to be idolatrous, to seek the things of the world? If we had to shut off the internet tomorrow in order to pay the bills, if we could no longer do this show tomorrow and I had no internet because I needed to provide for my family, have I prepared my family for that? I can tell you right now, I could hear some squawking going on because I haven't talked to them about that. I hadn't, it's not a conversation we've had to have yet. Well, it's probably a conversation we need to have. What if I have to turn off the cell phones and we get one dumb phone for the family and it sits on the counter and that's our phone? You know, have we talked to them? What are the actual needs that we have? What is it that God, you know, calls us, it might be calling us to live with? And what do, what are the things that we might need to get rid of in this time of trial, in this time of storm that causes us to have our eyes remaining on Christ and not on the things where we go, man, it's not fair that we don't have this anymore. It's not, it, 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 you know, this is hard to live this way because we don't have access to this anymore. Have we taught ourselves and our families to learn to live that way? And then most importantly, have we asked ourselves, am I ready to be grateful for God in this trial that he has not just that he's going, okay, I'll let you have this much of it, but rather grateful to God that he's brought this trial. 
Have we settled in our hearts to be grateful for that? Rich, that's one I think is really, really tough for a lot of us. And I, I and I'm talking solid Christians, you know, middle of the road Christians, weak in the faith Christians. A lot of us haven't lived without. You know, some have, but not a lot. Well, I'll speak a little bit from experience. I've been there and done that, mm-hmm. and there are there have been times looking back that I'm now grateful for what the Lord allowed me to go through mm-hmm. because I, in, in turn, I've been able to turn around and help other people from my own experience. Having gone through that, it's like I've, I've been on that ship. I made it through that storm. I know the safe passage and how to navigate the waters. Let me try to help you navigate the waters that you're going through. That is actually one reason why we are allowed to suffer at some at some sometimes because in order for us to be able to actually help someone else in times of trouble, we have had to travel that road ourselves in mm-hmm. order to completely understand and be able to provide biblical counseling and help to our brothers and sisters that are going through it maybe for the very first time, a lot of times maybe the first time ever in their life. And that in itself means that we were actually blessed by that trial or by that suffering because in turn we can now bless someone else with our wisdom and experience and try to help them through the same thing. Yeah. That makes sense. No, it absolutely does. I mean, it goes back to what scripture says that, you know, we, uh, we who go through these trials are comforted by God so that we in turn, and I'm paraphrasing here, uh, can comfort those in the way that we have been comforted. So absolutely, you know, I absolutely makes sense. And there's something else I'd like to, to, to bring to this. So when we're being grateful to God and we're looking at less becoming available, maybe doing away with some of the things that we've become accustomed to, maybe it even means we can't live in the house that we live in anymore because things have gotten so high and out of, uh, out of price range. We have to not only downsize what we own, but where we live. So... These are these are challenges. We need to think about these things. Well, what does God call say to us about that? Well, going back to 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul writing to Timothy says, "But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of the world." So, what are we called to? We're called to godliness and to be content with wherever we are. Remember, this is Paul who also said that through Christ, he, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to mess it up because I'm getting ahead of myself. He says, you know, uh, we, that misapplied verse that, you know, through through Christ we can do anything. Well, that misapplied verse is often like, well, you know, because of Christ I can, uh, I can be a pop star or something. No, no, no. He says in that same letter, hey, I've learned how to do with plenty and how to live without. You know, but because of Christ, he can do anything. So his fix, his eyes are fixed on Christ. His eyes are fixed on serving the Lord. And then he is content in whatever place he finds himself, either with or without. So he says, godliness with contentment is great gain. Being content in whatever the Lord provides. Why? Because we can bring nothing into this world and we're not taking anything out with us. So we're content with wherever he places us, with whatever he provides with us, no matter how much or how very little that may be. And then he says in verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, and by the way, he's not talking Saks Fifth Avenue. 
It's like he's not talking five-star dining. He's not talking about being able to go and run and get takeout whenever you don't feel like cooking. He's saying if we have food and clothing, in other words, the basic necessities of life, with these we will be content. And Rich, I think, and I pray, I pray I'm wrong on this. I pray we don't go da- back to the days of the '70s when we have all the terrible uh, shortages of everything. And and I pray that maybe tomorrow God is gracious and allows the stores to to be replenished and people could go back to work and all these things. And and maybe our government would stop losing its mind for three seconds. I don't know. I, I know it's asking a lot when it comes to the government side of it, but maybe, maybe that would happen. You know, we don't know. We don't know what God has well, intended for tomorrow. Go ahead. Backtrack on you just a moment. You were quoting from Philippians four Thank verses, uh, verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Prior to that verse, Paul had been speaking about being able to abound in in much and being able to abound in little, meaning that whether he had ample supplies, ample food, he was going to, you know, be able to be strengthened and rely on Christ, and he was going to be able to be strengthened and rely on Christ even if in times of need and in times of lacking those things. Mm-hmm. and. I think that was basically what you were alluding yes. to that, you know, and, and that verse that you read in Timothy overlaps with this, which also overlaps with what Paul wrote in Colossians chapter three, but I'll, I'll get to that later. But, um, you know, it's amazing people, and I know this is getting off topic just a, mo- a bit, but, you know, people read the scripture and say, well, this is what it means to me. no, we have to use the lens of Scripture to interpret Scripture. Mm-hmm. And, and in, these, in these subjects, like we're talking now about suffering and relying on Christ and keeping our eyes focused on Christ, there are so, so many verses that overlap and prop each other up that explains and admonishes us to do this very thing. Mm-hmm. And sadly, I think, especially in today's world, like you were talking about earlier, we we focus more on the blessing. We put our hope and faith in the blessing mm-hmm. more than we do the one who actually blesses us. Amen. And yes, sometimes when we're made to suffer and go through trials, it's not that the Lord is trying to be mean or cruel. It's actually to bless us for something that we can't see down the road. Exactly. And that's that's really the the big thing is because as you said we we focus on the we focus on the blessing rather than the blesser. In that same passage, you know, as he goes on to talk about, uh, you know, the, that we need to be content in all things, he he talks about those who desire to be rich, that those who have the love of money, as that is the root of all kinds of evil. Yes. Most of us aren't worried about being rich. Most of us aren't trying to make money hand over fist. Anybody listening to this program is probably not somebody obsessed with wealth or power or position. If you're if you're listening to this, you're probably very like-minded with uh, as we are. But as as you said, Rich, to your point, you we tend to be we tend to evaluate how well we are doing by what we have and whether we've gotten enough or we need to get more or maybe it's just a little bit more because 
It's kind of the nature of the culture that we live in. And we sometimes identify, we're, we, we kind of become, practically speaking, we, we kind of become uh, a works-based people because we think, hey, if I've done everything that I'm supposed to do for Jesus this week, then my week should go well. And if, well, if I didn't do everything I was supposed to do, well, that explains why my week didn't go well. We, we, we come, in a practical sense, we become works-based. And in a similar way, we kind of look at life is going in a good direction, and that must mean God is blessing me. Forgetting that God puts us through the refiner's fire. So in some ways, we are much like the person who desires to be rich, but we just define our level of, of rich as just a little bit lower. Maybe it's comfortable. Maybe it's being able to get to retirement. Maybe it's being able to take those vacations, or maybe it's not having to pay $50 to f uh, fill up your four-cylinder, uh, you know, a, a beater car that you've been driving for years, and it's you've been able to pay the bills because you haven't had to go buy a new car, but now because of inflation, it's costing you even more to fill up, but man, this car is, is killing me because now it's starting to break down, and I would have to get another car, but that's going to, you see how that goes? We start, we start valuating our, our level of rightness with God by whether or not we think we're being blessed, yet God in his sovereignty uses the difficulties to purge us from those things that we have become idolatrous of. Does that make sense, Rich? Oh, absolutely. And another thing that sadly many Christians are guilty of, and I don't know if this is just a Southern expression, but a lot of times we're guilty of trying to keep up with the Joneses. We mm -hmm. see the couple down the street and they've got this new car and they have this and we have that. And we think, well, we are supposed to have that too. Mm -hmm. So we go out and get even in more debt, just trying to keep up with them. Right. You know, we're, we're more worried about appearances and trying to come across as financially successful instead of focusing on being spiritually successful by training our family up in righteousness, Bible study, family devotion, prayer, you know, evangelism, going to church, truly seeking out the things of the kingdom, growing in holiness and growing in sanctification, growing in understanding, praying for the Lord to grant us the desire to do these things. We, we Our focus gets off of Christ, and we're focused on, like I said, the blessing. And a lot of times, especially in America, we think, well, the Lord must be blessing this person or that person because they have all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And we become more focused on the stuff than we become focused on, you know, spiritual things. And the Bible tells us, especially throughout Ecclesiastes, that we should never covet the wicked. We should never covet mm -hmm. what, you know, just because we see such, such person, you know, exorbitantly rich and have all these things and material wealth, we should not covet that person because the rich man will receive his reward here, the saved individual will receive their reward in heaven, just like the analogy of Lazarus and the rich man. We need to remember that just because appearance-wise it seems like someone's life is going perfect and they have everything under the sun, they don't have any problems, they don't have any issues, and they claim to be a Christian, but yet all this is going great in their lives, I personally witnessed the opposite um, seems to me the more a person is made to suffer, 
the holier they grow, the more sanctified they become for those truly in Christ. Now, there are plenty of people that will suffer and go through trials and tribulations because of sin and because of the mistakes and decisions they've made in their own life that they don't want to own up to. They will, you know, face consequences for their actions. Mm -hmm. But when it comes into the context of this as a true born-again believer, you know, there, there are reasons for our trials and suffering. Sometimes it is because of our own sin or our own bad choices or decisions. Sometimes it's because the Lord is sanctifying us and making us more like his son, Jesus Christ. Sometimes it is actually spiritual attacks. Mm -hmm. But the answer to all of that is the same. We go to prayer in Christ, and we ask the Lord to reveal to us the purpose behind what we're going through. I don't know of anyone that's ever said that before, that, um, you know, one, one, one way to, to address all of this is to actually ask the Lord to reveal to us the purpose behind this, to, you know, sustain us through it, to teach us what he wants us to learn through that mm -hmm. trial and suffering. More times than not, our first response is want to escape and get out of that situation and get out of that pain, get out of that problematic situation as it applies to tonight's conversation. But what we really need to be doing is asking the Lord, what do you want me to learn from this situation? Yeah. And I think that's the thing. I mean, you, you were saying it was Lord ask, you know, Lord, why am I going through this? James in his opening, you know, uh, verses in the chapter one says, count it all joy, my brothers, when, not if, when you meet trials of various kind, kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, unless steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So the first thing he says is to count that, that trial as a joy because it's a testing of your faith, which will produce steadfastness and will perfect and complete you over time. Lacking in nothing, lacking in stuff, lacking in comfort, lacking in in the things of this life, uh, you know, and lacking nothing in the things of this life. No, he's not talking about that. He's talking about that testing of your faith, producing steadfastness, producing in you a likeness to your Savior. But to what you said, Rich, he says it in verse five: If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. So there is a biblical command, Rich, that when we face this, these trials, we are to recognize they are a gift from God because they are, in fact, a testing of our faith that produces uh, you know, a changed man, a changed woman being conformed to the image of Christ. But if you're lacking understanding of why you're going through that, we are called to ask of God in faith without doubting that the answer he gives is for our good. And so how how is it that we can do that? How is it we can look at and not freak out and, and not get into this panic? Well, in his final instructions to the Thessalonians in, uh, in uh, 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes to them and says, Rejoice always. Always pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. So you're always rejoicing. Can, how do I rejoice in trials? 
How do I how can I possibly rejoice in trials? Because going back to James, we recognize those trials are God's way of testing our faith and perfecting us. So in turn, we're in constant state of prayer in communion with our Savior, constantly coming before him, putting our petitions before him, seeking to be not only saying, Lord, here's my situation, but also, Lord, change me. Lord, sanctify me. Lord, make me like you. And be thankful that he's using these circumstances to conform you to his image. That's the thing. Have we settled in our hearts that there could be difficult times ahead? Have we settled with our families? There may be things that we must do to make it through those times. But most importantly, have we settled in our hearts to be in a constant state of rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks? Rich, I don't believe we do this well enough. I know I don't. I guarantee you I don't. Because I have a bad day at work. I come home grumpy. You know, I come home with a semi-okay day at work, but things are going chaotic in my home. I'm grumpy. So I know I'm not giving thanks the way I should. I'm not being grateful to God. And if that, if I can't give uh, gratitude to the Lord, if I'm not praying and seeking to be conformed to his image in those things, what's it going to look like? When gas goes to five, six, seven dollars a gallon, not saying it will go that high, just possibility. Uh, what will it be like when I do have to turn off the internet or I have to get rid of my cell phones? All right. What will it be like if I have to downsize my home? We have to be now willing to settle our hearts and our minds that we will do these things, that we will give glory to God. When you get into an argument with your spouse, are you willing to give thanks to God that that spouse that he gave you is there for your sanctification? Have Are you willing to do that? If you can't do that, you cannot do this when it's really bad. And we need to be willing to do that. And he says in verse 18, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Recognize that when we are going through these things, it is God's will in Jesus Christ. Whether it's a good day or a bad day, whether it's a good life or a hard life, it is his will for you. There's nothing we should, I'm not saying that we don't say, "Lord, this is the difficulty I'm facing. Help me out of it. Help me through it. Give me the solution." There's nothing I'm we're not saying that. What we're saying is God's answer may be he's not going to take us out of it. He's going to carry us through it and it's going to get hard and it's going to get difficult and it's going to get painful and uncomfortable and it may cause unanticipated problems we never saw coming. But we rejoice always because, as it says in James, God is using these to produce steadfastness, steadfastness and to make us perfect in Him. And so... My hope, Rich, in, in, as we're wrapping this up, um, is to be able to encourage Christians to say, with what we see coming, with all these moments of anxiety and what could be the kind of the shining the light on the problem of what's about to come, 
are we prepared to face that as Christians? I hope we've encouraged that. Before we let folks go, um, is there anything you want to leave them with in this? Well, I, I would like to add that I think we need to do a part two because I still would like for us to address actually how do we keep our focus on Christ. Um, I know we've encouraged people to do that in this episode, at least I hope we have, but there's actually some practical biblical ways that the Bible instructs us us on how to actually keep our eyes focused on Christ during these times and during what we're experiencing now and what's coming, I think, truly think is coming down the road. Um, But I, I love everything that you said in closing, brother, and just on this episode alone, I hope it does encourage our brothers and sisters to, you know, seek out the Lord and not only for relief for what we're experiencing and going through, but also seek out the Lord and seek and look to the Bible for answers, because I'm convinced there's not an issue or problem that we face on this earth that the Bible does not have an answer to. We may not like what we find, we may not like the answer, but the Lord provides an answer because the Lord will grant to each person who seeks out for wisdom. And you mentioned about praying for wisdom. The Bible tells us Mm -hmm. to do that. So I I hope this has, you know, encouraged the brothers and sisters to, to be looking more towards Christ. But hopefully if the Lord allows and we're able to record again next week, you know, we can to sit down and address what the Bible says and how we actually can keep our eyes focused on Christ during these times. Um, but I, I love this show idea. I know you sent this to me earlier in the week, and I hope that the brothers and sisters will get something out of this. And anytime anything good comes out of our mouths, know mm-hmm. that it was provided by the Lord. We take responsibility for anything negative or wrong, but Lord, the Lord gets the credit for anything good. Amen. But in, clo- in closing, I'd like to say, like I try to close in each week, whatever you do this week, make it a point to proclaim the way of salvation at least once a day. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you for your time. Uh, like I said, and I know Rich and I talked in pre-show, we've talked about on some of these issues before. So maybe this, some of this sounds a little familiar and you're like, hey, you guys have talked about this plenty of times. But when we see things coming up and we recognize not only have we talked about this in the speculative in the past, but we now we're seeing a practical, real-time uh, event happening where we now have to start putting this to practice. We're going to remind you. I Paul, you know, I, I think it was, no, uh, was it Paul? Now I'm forgetting who said it. Oh, I hate when I try to think on the fly. My brain goes <laughs> dead. But he says, it, you know, it, I've said this to you before, but it's safe for me to say it to you again. In other words, it's Paul good. Said it. Paul said it. It's, you know, it is this, it is, yes, I've taught you this, but it's good for you to be reminded because one day I'm not going to be here to tell you. So this is a really bad Chris Honholtz paraphrase. Uh, I, this is what happens when I don't write things down before I start recording. Um, sorry, folks. For those of you who think we are professional and you guys put in the work, sometimes this is what you get because I 
didn't put in the work I should have put in. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm trying to be a little bit funny. But point being is that, yes, there are times we're going to be repetitive. And that's not a bad thing. It's a good hey, reminder. So we thank you for brother, being... Brother, that was... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say um, what you were thinking of was in Philippians 3.1. Thank you. When Paul said... Well, I've got a gazillion different versions here. Paul said, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and safe for you. Thank you. Thank you. <sighs> See, this is why scripture memorization is good and why when you're getting older like me, it should have been something you were doing much earlier on because then you remember the Chris Honholtz paraphrase and you forget what part of scripture it's in. <laughs> it's really bad thing to do. So anyway, the point being is that we may revisit these issues. We may talk about them again. And that's a good thing because it's a reminder of what scripture tells us. And it gets our eyes focused on what the word of God, rather than our own interpretations or our own uh, personal opinions. And I want, in fact, I want to leave you with something as we go. This is going to hurt your ears to hear it. But this is what happens when you don't, uh, you yourself think my understanding of scripture, my interpretation or how I view things can supersede scripture. This was a clip from Owen Strand, a debate that he had uh, online. And I will put the YouTube link in there into the show notes because I'm going to have to torture myself and watch this debate. But this is an individual who was... Um, well, he's a very pro-social justice-minded person and thinks that Paul is someone we may not probably should listen to. So this is what he said in regards to the, the works of Paul in Scripture. Is, is it, it, it commits the same, the, the same theological scandal that the Protestant reformers commit. And this is the scandal. The Protestant reformers do not recover the gospel of Jesus Christ. They recover Pauline theology. And, 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 and let me say this. Um, I love Jesus. I tolerate Paul. I, I approach Paul with a hermeneutic of suspicion. I love Jesus. I love the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, 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 and so, and, and so again, is. So I love Paul or I love Jesus, but I tolerate Paul and I approach Paul with a hermeneutic of suspicion. This is a man who decides he can interpret what scripture is. Please do not ever do this. We're going to have to visit this particular discussion at some point in the next you know, week or two or uh, something. Talk about this idea that we impose ourselves on scripture. But that's what happens when scripture does not inform our thinking. That's what happens when we do not go to the word consistently and constantly and conform ourselves to scripture rather than we try to conform scripture to us. And so hopefully what we've encouraged you to do tonight is to take a step away from imposing yourself on Scripture and to look to Scripture, to look to the Word of God, to look to the promises of Christ that, yes, we will uh, endure difficulty. Yes, we will endure trials and tribulations. And what we then do is be content with what we have because we have Christ more than anything else. And because we have Christ... We will be conformed to his image through the trials and tribulations, and therefore we can rejoice, we can pray, 
and we can thank him in all circumstances. So thank you so much for being with us this week. Uh, We will pick this up again, and uh, we will talk about some more ways that this can be done. But I hope this week, as you begin to watch the news and you look at these articles, because it is the talk of the day right now, um, that you take a deep breath, you pray, and you give thanks to God in all circumstances. Thank you for being with us this week. God bless you guys. We will see you next time.